All right, so we are in Isaiah chapter 28. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, we're continuing on in, uh, in kind of a lead-up series called, Have You Not Read? Have You Not Read? This is number two. Uh, so we're looking at, uh, have you not read what was in uh, Moses, right? And have you not read what's in uh, the, the prophets? And have you not read what's in the scripture writings or, or through the Psalms? And last week we looked at the, the writings of Moses and we took three prophecies out of Moses and we showed how those three prophecies point to the Lord Jesus so he can say, haven't you read about me? Haven't you already seen me for who I am? Haven't you seen me uh, in all my glory in right before your eyes? And, and now even though I'm here and you should know what they've said about me, you still don't believe. Now, a lot of this was a huge rebuke, so I want us to clarify that. I thought about this this week. Maybe it's a little harsh when I'm like, haven't you read this? Jesus was being sarcastic and I think a little harsh with the religious leaders of the day. The, the, the question was a rhetorical question. Have you not read? Because he knew, in fact, that they had read. They knew, in fact, that they should have known the sacred scriptures. They should have known the prophecies regarding the Messiah, and they should have embraced Jesus because he's now in their presence, and he is the fulfillment of those prophecies. So he said, haven't, haven't you read this? Shouldn't you know this? Now, for you and I today, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the religious elite where you're absolutely learned in the Old Testament scriptures, and you can point to Jesus uh, up, down, left, right, and, and, and twice on Sundays. Maybe, you, maybe that's not you. So when, when I say, have you not read, I, and, and my encouragement to you is this, come and see. Look, look to what God has done. Look to what God has established uh, in the Old Testament. Look to what God has established as his prophecy concerning uh, the one he sent, who is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, and see that the Lord is good. And, and, it's, and maybe you haven't read. Maybe, it's, maybe it is your fault. Maybe you're like, I, I just, I've got questions. I don't want them to get answered. I'm just going to kind of resist all this Jesus thing. Oh, okay. Maybe that's you. I had a conversation this week with someone then. And I was, I was visiting with them and talking about the Lord and, and asking them about their spiritual journey and, their, and, and their, their knowledge of Scripture, their knowledge of Christ. And, and they got very tense and very, very nervous about that. They, they didn't really want to talk about that, mostly because they didn't really know better. I said, it's okay. You know, a lot of, a lot of us come to the table with, with different puzzle pieces, like they're on the table, right? And I've got a picture of this and a picture of this, but I, I can't really see the entire picture. Like when I do a puzzle, well, I don't really do a puzzle. When my wife does a puzzle, she loves them. You put, a, you put a puzzle, the box up in front of you, right? So you can see the picture. I think she's a, and, and, uh, attempted puzzles before that had no picture. They were just pieces cut. I, I just, I would lose my mind, right? But so, some of us have these little, little pieces and, and some have more than others. But the more you learn, the more you read, the more you grow, the more God reveals to you. He's inviting you to come and see all that he has for you. And those puzzle pieces start to form and fit. And as they do, they reveal Jesus. They reveal the God who wants you to know him personally as Savior. So my encouragement to you is that if you haven't read, if you don't have a lot of those pieces, to get those pieces. And that's the goal of this series. Last week we looked at three ways that, that the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, and it was unashamedly evident and clear, right? Hopefully it should have been. And today we'll look at how, how what is written in the prophets now points to the Lord Jesus and helps us see him for who he really is. That Christ is indeed accessible to you, if you are ready to come and see. I want to read a verse not out of Isaiah 28. This was kind of the theme verse uh, we started with last week. It was out of uh, Luke 24, and it was after Jesus had risen from the grave, and he was walking with disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't know who he was, and there were two of them walking, and 
they were like sad and forlorn about what had happened. And eventually Jesus revealed himself. And, and here's what he said. He said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So we're taking Moses and the prophets and all of the scriptures and taking the prophecy of that, and we're, we're embracing that so that we are not foolish or slow to believe who Christ is for us. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at what is written in the prophets. And number one is this. There's, there's tons of prophecies, by the way. There's, there's hundreds of them, and, and we're just trying to focus in, narrow in on, on a few, right? Only ones we have time for today. Today, uh, number one is this, that the Messiah would be, as they prophesied, the Messiah would be the rejected cornerstone. Now, you have this in your sermon notes, in your bulletin, if you want to keep up and take, take notes. Uh, but if you would turn with me, and hopefully you're there, in Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. I need to turn there still. Isaiah 28, we'll begin with verse 14, and we'll read through, uh, through 22 for this prophecy. I can get there. Okay. One more. Begin in verse 14. It says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. For you said, We have made a covenant with death. And we have made an arrangement with Sheol. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us, because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden uh, behind treachery. Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will not be shaken. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge, and water will flood your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be dissolved, and your agreement with Sheol will not last. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, you will be trampled. Every time it passes through, it, it will carry you away. It will pass through every morning, every day, and every night. Only terror will cause you to understand the message. Indeed, the bed is too short to stretch out on it, and it's covered too small to wrap up in. For the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rise in wrath at the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his unexpected work, to perform his task, his unfamiliar task. So now, do not scoff, or your shackles will become stronger. Indeed, I have heard from the Lord, the God of armies, a decree of destruction for the whole land. This is the word of God. I want to break this apart a little bit and, and look at this message of the cornerstone and kind of see what was, what was going on here. Jesus is certainly uh, one who talks harshly to the religious leaders, and now God, the, the Lord God is talking harshly through the prophet Isaiah to religious leaders. He says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you rule, who rule his people in Jerusalem. So he's saying, listen, all of you who, who think you're in charge, who think you know truth, who think you understand this adequately and accurately, you don't. You are mocking and you are scoffing and, and you should know better because you're the ones who are supposed to lead. You have not taken the Lord seriously. And I think there's two ways, yet they haven't taken the Lord seriously. One, in how to lead. They don't know how to lead. They lead through power and intimidation. And they don't know how to follow. You know, a good leader needs to know how to follow as well. 
and how to lead as a servant. And ultimately, these, these rulers, they didn't know how to follow. And, and who's the most important person to follow as a leader? The Lord. The Lord, right? So these leaders were not good at leading. They did not know how to lead, and they did not follow the Lord God. And in fact, he says in verse 15, he says, for you said, now I, I don't think they actually said this. I think that what he's saying is, listen, in your heart you say this, because not many of us would say this. Here's what they say. It, Jesus, God says this about those rulers. You have said that you have made a covenant. We, we have made a covenant with death and made an agreement with Sheol. What is, what is it saying? If it's in layman's terms, you've made a deal with the devil, right? So basically saying, you religious leaders have said, hey, we made a deal with the devil, so we're okay. They, they didn't, I don't think they said that out loud. I think they made that deal in their heart, and they've said that and convinced themselves in their own heart. And they said, well, because we made this deal, because we want power and prestige, and we're going to do it our own way, uh, it says the overwhelming catastrophe, when it passes through, uh, we think it won't touch us, right? Because we've made falsehood a refuge and hidden behind treachery. They've gotten to that place of power. And think about that just in, in the way we see that in the world, portrayed in the world. The powerful, the elite, they, they, they cower behind their lies. They, they lie all the time and twist the truth and try to get out of it, and they continue to lead by, by that direction. It, they made falsehood a refuge. The, in this time, there was no different. They made falsehood a refuge. So w- what did the Lord do? Right. Verse 16, Therefore the Lord said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion. You, he said, You can't be counted on. But I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. I I have made something sure. While you are hiding behind your lies, while you are making a deal with the devil and you are far from God, you don't know how to lead and you don't know how to follow God, I am laying a precious stone, a tested stone, a, a sure foundation. He goes on, he says, the one who believes will be unshakable. You think about how, how those who were under these religious leaders, how they were shaken and in distress because of this tyrannical rule, because of this oppressive rule over them. God's like, that's not my intention for my people. My intention is for them to have a sure footing, solid foundation. So he says, I have laid a cornerstone, and the one who believes will be unshakable. And he says, I will make justice the measuring line, and I'll make righteousness the mason's level. So you think about this stone. I've got it written in my notes, this little 3D block. You think about a stone in the corner, right? This is the, the stone that you would, you would put in place, and you would have to make sure it is perfectly plumb, perfectly level, and perfectly square in every direction, so that when the next builder came with the next block and the subsequent blocks, what would happen? You'd have a square building and a straight building, right? Both left, right, and up and down. It would be square and it would be plumb. This cornerstone was so, so important not only physically in buildings all around us, but listen, this, this is so important for us as, as a foundation of faith. Because he didn't say, hey, I'm going to make this, this block, this, this um, uh, cornerstone be something that makes the building true. He says, I'm going to make you true. He, he says, this, this cornerstone will make justice the measuring line. God's justice. And, and he will make righteousness the mason's level. God's righteousness. You know, here's where it starts to get personal. He was all about getting on, on the um, religious leaders of the day. He was like, listen, you are not leading well. You're oppressive. You're putting a heavy burden on people. You're not being good shepherds. We'll see that later on today. He, he was on them for that. But it's important for you and I to understand that, 
that we are not above mocking God. We are not above coming against what the Lord has said is right and true. In fact, we, we like to take our own stone, don't we? We like to say, this is, this is what I believe. This is how I see the world. This is how I feel about the world. This is what I think is right and good and, and makes me feel better about myself. So I'm going to take this stone and I'm going to place it in the corner. And its rules and its regulations, how I see the world, it will be what then guides my life. When you talk about it that way, I think we've all tried to lay our own cornerstone. And you might be even now laying your own cornerstone with your own rules, your own regulations. In fact, that's what the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day did then. But God says, no, no, no. I'm going to lay the cornerstone. It's my cornerstone. It's my justice. It's my truth. It's my righteousness. And if you follow it, you'll, you'll be in line with, with me. But if you don't, or you try to remove it, or if you try to replace it with your own, you will not, and you will be as bad as the mockers and scoffers that are the religious leaders of the day. We must run to God as our refuge, as our strength, as our firm foundation. And it says those who believe that, those who entrust themselves to Him, will not be put to shame. He says, hail will sweep away all the, re- the false refuge. You, there, here's what he's saying. There's no place for you to hide. When, when I come with justice and righteousness, if you have hidden behind your own truth, if you've hidden behind your own deal with the devil, you will not be able to hide when I come, when I show up. So in verse 22, he exhorts and says this, now do not scoff. Do not scoff or your shackles will become stronger your shackles will become stronger. Let's go on. I want to see that that's just kind of a a little bit of that text in that context for the day, but it's very important for us to see that it's for us, but also that that there's a prophecy here, right? The Lord said, I'm going to what lay a a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is the prophecy we're looking at today. And this prophecy points all the way forward from the prophets to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read some passages here. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. Peter says, for it stands in Scripture, and he quotes this passage, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Let's let's stop there for a minute. This shame thing is an important thing to get. You know the reason that we put our own cornerstone in place? Because we don't want to be ashamed of the way we live, of what we believe, of what we embrace. We don't want to be ashamed. So we, we put that, our own cornerstone in that place so we won't be ashamed. The problem is that one day we will be exposed for who we are and we will be ashamed before the God of the universe. But what he encourages and says here is like, if you understand I am, Jesus is the cornerstone, he's the rock, the sure footing, the firm foundation, The one who believes in him, although it may feel uncomfortable at the time, ultimately, when you stand before God, will not be put to shame. So we try to lay our own cornerstone so we're not ashamed, but ultimately we're ashamed when we stand before God for all eternity. Isn't it better to be a little more shamed and guilty now and have that resolved so that we can have a righteousness from Christ and a peace and a hope from Christ 
And that when we stand before God one day, there will be no shame because he took it for us. Wouldn't that be better? I think the answer is yes. I hope you would say it's yes as well for you. So he says, Peter says, honor will come to you who believe. What's keeping you from believing? Haven't you read? Maybe you haven't really looked and seen Christ. Maybe you haven't really decided, I want to know more. Honor will come to those who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. I mentioned this in our Sunday school class just before service, and uh, that, that it's, it's interesting how this, this plays out. When we have this cornerstone, it really honestly can't be removed. We can't remove this cornerstone. We think we can, and we kind of replace it or we wrap it up as something else, and we think it's different. But, but ultimately, basically, the text here is saying this. If you want to hide your shame today in your own cornerstone, you are going to blind yourself to the truth, and as you blind yourself to the truth, you will continually trip and fall over this cornerstone, Jesus' cornerstone. It's, it's basically you will be beating your head over the rock over and over and over and over again because you want to hide your own shame and you want to live in the way you live. And it says here, it goes on. Peter says, they stumble. Why do we trip? Why do we keep hitting our head on this rock? Why do we keep falling over this as we're blind? They stumble because they disobey the word. They disobey. We want to disobey. That creates shame. And shame is something we want to hide, so we create our own cornerstone. And as we do that, we blind ourselves to the truth, and we continue to run into this cornerstone that's already been set for us, that is Jesus Christ our Lord. All the while wanting to help us get out of the shame and be unashamed as we believe in him, as we trust in him. But many resist. Paul says it in Romans 9. What should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness. People who didn't follow all the rules and all the laws and didn't quite, didn't quite get it, they become righteous. Namely, the righteousness that comes through faith. They put their faith and their trust in Jesus. They believed. But Israel, who was pursuing a law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. They tried to earn their way. They tried to do it their own way. Why is that, he says? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. And as they did that, so they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over, a rock to trip over, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. We try to, we try to place our own cornerstone. It just does not work. If we believe in him, we will not be put to shame. Turn with me, if you would, from Isaiah to, to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. The New Testament, it's the first, first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we had so many comments last week as how much fun you had last week turning the pages in, in Scripture. Uh, if you're a friend next to somebody and they need some help, help them out. Help them find the place in the Scripture so they can see the Scripture and read it on their own as well. <clears throat> Let's look at Matthew 21. We'll start in verse 42. Now Jesus speaking. He, says, he said to them, have you never read? This is where we get the sermon series, right? Have you not read? Have you never read the scriptures? He's saying, and he's saying this to the religious leaders. The stone, he says, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. 
wonderful in our eyes. The next part of this is, is where the rubber meets the road. It gets tough. Right? We, it, it, it is indeed a stumbling stone, right? Verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. These rulers, they're in trouble. Verse 44, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, but on whom, whomever it falls, it will shatter him. I, I think it's very important for us to, to know what this means. It was kind of, it's kind of odd, isn't it? Whoever falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. Here's what this, that part means. When you or I try to come against the cornerstone, the righteousness and justice of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the God who says, if you believe in me, you will not be put to shame. When you and I try to come against that God, what happens? We are shattered over and over and over again. We will, it will never stand. We will be shattered. And the, the next part says, but on whomever this stone, this stone falls, it will shatter him. That, that there is a judgment against not only those who come against God, they will be shattered, but those who reject God altogether and say, that, I'm not having anything to do with that foundation. One day that foundation, that stone will fall on you. And you will be under the judgment of God because of his truth and his justice and his righteousness. But in his mercy, he has given you himself as the chief cornerstone, the one that you can turn to and rely on and put your faith and hope in and not be put to shame. Listen, we can have him as our cornerstone or we will break against him and, and receive the judgment of God. The hope is there though. And the prophet writes about the cornerstone and points it all the way to Jesus being the, the, the stone, the, corner, the, the cornerstone that was rejected, the builders rejected. Number two, what else was written in the prophets? We see that the Messiah would be the suffering servant. Number two is the suffering servant. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 53. Scripture. Isaiah 53 will begin with verse 1. And, and here's what I'm going to do here. I, I, I want us to, uh, to see Christ for who he is as we read this passage of Scripture. So you, you stay here in Isaiah 53. And as we go through, I'm going to pause and I'm going to read New Testament Scriptures that show Christ being the fulfillment of this. Now, in and of itself, if, if you know just a little bit about Jesus, you would read this and be like, oh, that sounds pretty familiar. But it's really hard for us not to see Christ in Isaiah 53. Uh, in, in fact, it's, it's so, so plain that, that Jews who have this text have omitted this text from their readings because they, they don't want to come face to face with Isaiah 53 and, and see that it totally points to the Messiah. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 3. Who has believed what, what we have heard and and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, this is talking about the Messiah, the suffering servant, grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned their face away from. He was despised, and we did not value him. 
that sounds harsh. That sounds horrible. I'm going to read a couple of passages for you out of Mark and John. Mark 15, it says this is how they ridiculed him. They dressed him, Jesus, in a purple robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns and they, they put it on him and they began to salute him saying, Hail, the King of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him and getting down on their knees. They were, they were paying homage to him. But after they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes back on him. Sounds like a lovely treatment. What rejection he faced. John even wrote about it for when Jesus came in and tabernacled, tabernacled among us. When, when God in the flesh came and walked about. Here's what he said. He said, He, Jesus, was recognized in the world, and the world was created through Him, yet the world did not recognize Him. He, he came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. He was despised and rejected. Sound familiar? Look at verse 4 in Isaiah. Yet he himself, even though he was rejected and treated that way, he, he himself, he bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains, but we in turn have regarded him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all went astray like sheep, and we all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Again, you guys, I'm reading out of Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah. That's not a New Testament passage as you're sitting and watching the cross. But maybe it is. Matthew chapter 8. When evening came, they, they brought him uh, to many demon-possessed, and he drove out the spirits with the word uh, and healing all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is talking about Jesus and his life and his ministry, and, and that what would be fulfilled, that he himself took on our weaknesses and he carried our diseases. We just read that on Isaiah. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like a sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is talking about the Lord Jesus. It's quoting this passage in Isaiah that points to the suffering servant being Christ. Christ even said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is Jesus. Jesus. He was the one who was mocked. He was the one who was rejected. He's the one who, who took our iniquities. He, he was struck down for our sins. He carried our penalty for us. You get that? The suffering servant didn't come and just make a spectacle for himself. He took your sin. He took your iniquity. He took mine. And he placed them upon his own shoulders and he bore the burden and the wrath of God for us that we might be forgiven and free. Verse 7 in Isaiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. In Matthew we see this, and several places we see this. Jesus stood before the governor and he says, are you king of the Jews? Uh, he asked him. Jesus said, you say so. While he was being uh, accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, 
Don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him even on one charge. And the governor was quite amazed. This is Jesus arrested in trial before, the, before what they want to have is an execution. And what does he say? Nothing. Nothing. They know who he is. They're killing the Messiah. He was silent, and he didn't defend himself. We see that in Isaiah. We see it in Matthew and Jesus. Finally, look at verse 8 and 9 in Isaiah. Not finally, but next. He was taken away because of the oppression and judgment, and, was, uh, and who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. He was with criminals at his death. Matthew 27. Find that for you. Uh, Matthew 27, 38. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's, he's come to, to heal and to teach and to love us towards him and call us to repent and turn to him in faith. And they crucify this man, Jesus, God in the flesh, in between common criminals. Then we see him uh, at, at a, with a rich man at his death in Matthew 27, 57. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, uh, who himself had become a disciple of Christ. And he, this Christ has already died at this point. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, he wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his, in his new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. He left after rolling the stone, uh, the great stone against the entrance of the tomb. He was at a rich, with a rich man at his death. Sounds like Isaiah, right? It is. Pointing to Jesus. Look at, let's look at verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, and when you see his seed... He will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many's, many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and intercedes for the rebels. Isn't it amazing? We have what we have in the Lord here. That, that, that what we see in the suffering servant was, was him taking the wrath of God for you. Him taking the wrath of God for me. He, he didn't deserve that. He didn't die for something he had done wrong. He died for what I had done wrong. He died for what you had done wrong. And it's so interesting that we see this cornerstone that is being rejected and pushed aside. Like, I don't want that cornerstone. I don't want that cornerstone. Don't you understand that that cornerstone was also the suffering servant? Don't you understand that that cornerstone was able to be established and truth and justice and righteousness established because Christ made a way for you to be reconciled to God through him? That Christ said, I will suffer gladly. While I have every, uh, I'm totally worthy of every um, authority and power, and I could conquer with a word, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to die the death that you deserve to die. I'm going to live a life that you could never live. And I will show you that the way is through me. Jesus said, The way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through the Son. 
Listen, today in a few minutes after our next point, we're going to be partaking in the Lord's Supper today. Observing what Christ has done. And this is deeply meaningful to us. It is, it's nothing about works. Partaking in this does not mean that you're something special. We are observing the Lord's Supper and partaking today. Uh, for those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior and believed in Him, who have set our firm foundation, that cornerstone of His, of His righteousness and His justice, we, we sit on Him. We've let the penalty of God's wrath be put upon Jesus for us. He poured Himself out. He, he offered Himself as a suffering servant so that we might have life. That's what we do when we partake today. We, we say, he's, He is my cornerstone, and He was the suffering servant who took my penalty, who took my death. And I believe, and, I, and I, because I believe, I'm not going to be put to shame. And I can, I can come and partake freely because I will not be put to shame. That stone will not be something that crushes me. I rest firmly on its foundation, and I will not be put to shame. But it leads us to this, this last point today of the next prophecy, right? The next one we see about what was written in the prophets. Um, before we get there, I, I, there's, one, there's a story I wanted to tell you. The story... There, there's a great quote. I, I, was reading, I was reading about the story in a commentary, but there's a great, great quote by uh, F.B. Meyer. He said this, there's only, as we look at, look at Isaiah 53, as we look at it in its totality as a prophecy of the Messiah, he says this, there's only one brow upon which the crown of thorns will fit. When we see Jesus and we see that crown of thorns put upon him, there's only one brow on which the crown of thorns will fit. It is Jesus of Nazareth who suffered innocently, who died substitutionally and was raised gloriously, and he will return triumphantly just as Isaiah promised. It's the only, only one. It only points to Jesus. Going back to the Jewish history and tradition where they've omitted Isaiah 53, there was a Jewish girl who had grown up in, in a very Jewish family and never really looked at and, and took, took a look at Isaiah 53. It was omitted, right? But as she got older, she started to study, and, and she realized this in talking to a friend that Isaiah 53 existed. It's quite amazing. I'll, I'll segue if you hear stories of people sharing their faith with Jewish people and, and opening up Isaiah 53. They're like, wait a minute, I never heard this. I've never seen this. And, they, and they, they're, they're stunned when they hear it. And that, that, that shock is, oh no, I missed something. Oh no, I missed someone, the Messiah. So this girl is studying and she sees Isaiah 53. She's like, wait a minute. I, I missed something. I, I don't know what to do about this. And she wanted so badly to talk to her father about this, but she knew she couldn't. She, she knew that he had resisted and rejected the Messiah and would not have anything to do with Jesus in his household. But one day she was able to sneak in and see his Bible, his, his reading, and it had Isaiah 53 in it. And she found it and she read Isaiah 53 in, in her dad's Bible. And as she read it, she saw what was written in the margin by her dad. You know what her dad said? This is about the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus. Gives me goosebumps just saying that. What did he do? He kept stumbling over that cornerstone, though. He would shut it and not talk about it. He rejected it. As soon as this girl knew what her dad really felt about this passage, she gave her life and heart to Jesus. She became a believer, and she had conversations with her dad, and guess who else became a Christian? Her dad. She now knows that Isaiah... All the prophecies, what, what was read. Didn't you know, haven't you read what Isaiah had told us about Jesus? And now she's a Christian. She's a believer and her family because the Messiah is the only one who could fit Isaiah 53. 
upon himself or upon his brow. Last, what else was written in the prophets? That the Messiah would shepherd Israel. And this is, this is important for us. I kind of made this in a progression. We see him as a cornerstone, resisting people who, who, who are not, not truthful or who are lying to themselves. We see him as a cornerstone, resisting those who want to establish their own cornerstone. We see there's a resistance there. But then he says, there's a resistance, I know, but the way I became the cornerstone was to be a suffering servant for you, that you could believe in me and not be put to shame. And once you believe in me, you will know me as shepherd. You will know me as a true shepherd. Let's let's find the dilemma here. If you turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. It's after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel. Chapter 34. Chapter 34, we're going to read verses 23 and 24. Again, he's rebuking religious leaders. The same religious leaders that wanted to hide in their own, their own truth and hide, in their, hide behind their own deal with Satan. The same religious leader that, that oppressed Israel and led them astray, is, they're also being considered false shepherds, bad shepherds. And God's heart was to be the shepherd for his people, his own. But they wanted a king, and so he gave him a king. And now people, kings, judges, would rule and be the ones that should wisely shepherd Israel, and they weren't doing a good job of this. So Ezekiel, we see this prophecy in Ezekiel 34, 23, and 24. You can read more context of this at home later. The Lord says, I will establish over them one shepherd. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, we see this text, we're like, oh, he's talking about David. No, David's dead. Gone. Now, some, some scholars will say, this is God wanting to resurrect David and the Davidic kingdom, and that's who's going to be shepherd. But out of that will come a line again of David because there was a little bit of a break here. We, did, we see that there's a whole other study on the seed right in the line of Christ. It's really cool how God preserved that. But there was a time now when, when Israel needed a shepherd and there wasn't one and the, and the religious leaders weren't shepherding well. This is not about King David. This is about the one that will come from David. Why, notice this. The Lord, he says, the Lord, I will establish. So who's going to raise up the shepherd? Say God. God, the Lord, right? Yahweh is going to raise up the shepherd. He says, I will establish over them, what? Shepherds? One. One shepherd. I, Yahweh, God of the universe, will establish one shepherd over them. Where where will he come from? Who is that going to be? From David, my servant David, out of the house and line of David, out of the lineage of David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And I love this next statement. And my servant, David, out of the line of David, this is talking about the Lord's shepherd, will be a prince among them. What's neat here is that this shepherd is, uh, the Lord will establish him. He will be one shepherd, not many kings or rulers. He will be the Lord's servant. We see this all through the New Testament. Who does Jesus come to serve? He serves us, but who does he come to obey? The Father. He answers to no one else. God says, the shepherd that I will raise up will answer to no one else but me. He will be my servant, and I will make him a prince before them. 
I think Isaiah 9, wasn't it? Was he prophesied and, and the one that would be born would be what? Be called Everlasting Father, right? Mighty God, Prince of Peace. This is the Prince, the Lord Jesus we're talking about. And, and that idea of Prince would be ruler. This is the one that, he, that the Lord God would give all authority to. And he did that to Jesus Christ. I, I wanted to take a segue to Psalm 23. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Psalm 23. Go backwards, right, in your Bible, towards the front a little bit. It's right in the middle. Roughly in the middle. Psalm 23. Well-known psalm. It's, it's, uh, it's sung. It's quoted at funerals all the time. Maybe Im- improperly. I don't know. Psalm 23. Now what we talked about is, is this cornerstone who was the suffering servant wanted, wants you to believe in him so you would not be put to shame, so you would have life, and that as soon as you believe in him that he would be your shepherd. Look at how this, this familiar verse starts. We kind of forget this. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. I think the world at large wants to take this verse and say, the Lord is the shepherd. He wins, we all win because he's the shepherd. No, no. The text here and the writer, the author, understands the, the following relationship with the Lord can only be had when the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Or we like to say, forever. This promise is about the Lord being my shepherd. So if, if you are still rejecting this cornerstone, if you see the suffering servant and mock and scoff at him and oh, pay kind of homage to him in a mocking way, he is not your shepherd. You will not only be ashamed, but you will die in your sin. The very sin that he bore on himself for you, you will die in your sin, separated from him. But he says, I don't, I don't want you to be put to shame. I, I took my, your iniquities upon me so you would be healed. By my wounds, you are healed. He, he died for you that you could believe and have life. And, and as you believe, then you would not be put to shame. And as you believe that he would be now your shepherd. And it, this, this isn't a fancy, fun verse that says, hey, it's going to be great after you have the Lord as your shepherd. It's going to be hard, right? But the promise is, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because the Lord as your shepherd is with you. There's so many promises in there. We cling to the Lord as our shepherd because we face hard times. We need the shepherd. When we can't see clearly, we need one to guide us where we need to go. When we are off in the, and, and wrong in the, in, the, uh, in the word or in our actions and our deeds, he's going to correct us and guide us back to center, to the truth. That's what the Lord as a shepherd does for us. Last place to turn, John 10. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New Testament. Brandon, show me this. Show me Jesus is this shepherd. Okay. The Scriptures will. John 10, and we're going to begin in verse 14. There's a lot of text here you could look on 
uh, as your own as you look at that. But I, I want this to be something, hopefully, either convicting for you, like I need him as my shepherd, or, or so, so encouraging for you, like I'm so glad the Lord is my shepherd. I'm so glad that he is the one that has guarded my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, that, that I, I am safe and secure and I, I can approach him with no shame because of what he's done for me. Let's look at verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, and how many shepherds? One, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. You see, when we look at Isaiah 53 as the, the suffering servant, we think they killed Jesus. Yeah, they did. But did they really have the upper hand on him? No, they, he laid down his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from the Father. Now skip down with me to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Whoa. Goosebumps, right? Now, the religious leaders are hearing this. It's a bummer for them. But for, I, I want to I focus on you and I for a moment. We are hearing this, right? And hopefully, you're hearing this because his sheep hear his voice. If you're not hearing this, you're not a sheep. You don't get it. This, this Lord's table will mean nothing to you. In fact, we'll want you to stand by and observe and watch as we, the sheep, have heard his voice and come to faith in Christ. And we followed him. I mean, he's given us eternal life because he is our one shepherd. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He is God in the flesh for us. And he and the Father are one. Verse 31 says this, Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. They said, oh, it's on. You're claiming to be equal with God. You're claiming to be God, that you can forgive sins, that you, these are your sheep, that you're the one shepherd. They picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Listen, I think there's an important thing for us to, to be exposed about here. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. And if you and I want to come to him and consider him only a mere man, it will not go well with us. In fact, we will desire to kill him over and over and to reject him over and over and to push him out of our life and out of our view over and over. That's what you will do when you consider Jesus a mere man. But for those of us who consider Jesus as more than a mere man, right, that he is actually claiming to be God and he is God and he has done everything for us as a cornerstone, as a suffering servant, and is now our good shepherd, 
we will lay aside everything that we thought was gain and consider it a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He was willing to be the suffering servant because he is the good shepherd of his sheep. Are you his sheep or do you still resist? I hope you would believe that you'd see that we have read and it's pointed to the fact that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in Him, you'd have life in His name. Christ is the cornerstone who should not be rejected. His truth and His righteousness must not be our standard, but it is, or it must be our standard and must be our firm foundation. He is our firm foundation. He's also the servant who suffered so He could carry the wrath of God for us, toward us, on Himself. He died for you. If you believe, you'd have life. And you would not be put to shame. And through faith in Christ, the shepherd of Israel that Ezekiel prophesied will be your shepherd. Guiding you, disciplining you, and leading you to life and rest. That's why we celebrate the Lord. That's why we worship the Lord. That's why we give our love and devotion to Him because He died for us. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll have the worship team come back up and let's pray as we continue to worship through the Lord's Supper and, and song. Father, we, we come to you today hopefully in a repentant heart. We come to you today, God, desiring that we we would lift you up. That we would place you as a cornerstone. That we would not reject you and push you aside. That your truth and your righteousness would be what we believe. We come to you today thanking you that you were the suffering servant. The Lord Jesus, his brow is the only one Isaiah 53 fits on. That his shoulders are the only shoulders. That you took our sins. You carried our burden, our iniquity. You took the wrath of God that was supposed to be on our shoulders and you put it on yourself. So that through faith in you, we can be forgiven of sin and have life and hope and a firm foundation. And Father, we, we know you as the good shepherd, the, the shepherd of Israel, who is going to guide us and direct us and lead us and comfort us and, and discipline us when necessary. God, we submit to you as the shepherd. We want to follow you and not, not get ahead of you and not, not try to lead you or try to make you conform to us. We want to be conformed in your image. We want to be more like Jesus. So we thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.